everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Terry's Talking. David Campbell here alongside Terry Pluto from the Plain Dealer in Cleveland.com. Terry, I'm happy we are a COVID-free podcast. It seems like it, that's a pretty hard thing to do this week. Um, how you doing? I am I am fine. I'm feeling for all the people that are dealing with this, whether of course those are very serious, you know, cases in the hospital and that. And then others just in a general business situation, which is what we're seeing a lot in sports. Yeah, it's just every walk of life seems like it's being affected this this last couple of weeks. And we're headed into the holiday season, which is going to be even more of a challenge. So everybody be safe out there and um, we'll be pulling for all these athletes to have, have their illnesses be short and, and their families stay healthy. So, uh, Terry, let's get into this. It is a lot to take in. It seems like by the hour, things are changing with the Browns. I thought it'd be good to do a quick recap real quick for people to get them caught up. We're taping this on Wednesday afternoon. You should and, get the exact time, too. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's by the minute. Um, so the Browns this week in the last couple of days have placed these players on the COVID-19 reserve list. Austin Hooper, Jarvis Landry, Tack McKinley, Wyatt Teller, Jedrick Wills Jr., Troy Hill, John Johnson III, today Baker Mayfield, Malik McDowell. Those are the starters. Um, and the, the key players who are going to be out. And we found out today that Kevin Stefanski has tested positive. He held his media availability about 45 minutes before we taped this. He says he feels fine, um, but he has tested positive and he's going to be working from home. Anybody who's on this list needs to produce two negative tests 24 hours apart to return. Kevin Stefanski was kind of joking that he's going to go to the facility and look in through the fence to see how everybody's yeah. doing. Uh, but just a crazy week. It, it, we saw some of this last year, but it's 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 got to be hard to keep focus and prepare a team for a game, especially in a short week. Right, Terry? And I also know that the teams there are frustrated. I was talking, Scott Garrett from Cleveland State, uh, athletic director, called me, and they are having to have a pause for 10 days for uh, their games at Duke and at Kent State, which are two big games for them. And he said they got a couple of guys with mild symptoms, which led to testing all over the place, and a couple more that are asymptomatic. And he said, you know, we're, he says, and by the way, Dennis Gase in normal life, the coach there is sort of a germaphobe anyway. That was his exact words to me when I wrote a story on him about a year ago. And so if you watch when he's coaching, he wears this mask all the time. But it's, it's one with the, you can see his lips, but he's, he's very, and he's very a neat, clean guy. So this is driving him nuts. The whole team's vaccinated. They do all this stuff, and you got it anyway. And this is not to diminish those who are dealing with it on a very serious level, but I think this is more what you're seeing happening in, in the in the sports world. So you're correct. Uh, at Baker Mayfield, you know, Mary Kay had nice reports that Baker said he feels fine. So hopefully these guys could test out of it quickly, at least some of them. Yeah, and, and if you if there is one good thing, if you're a Browns fan here, it's that it's happening from a football point of view. It's happening today on Wednesday. That the, These mm-hmm. things are happening earlier in the week instead of a lot of times teams find out Thursday, Friday. I think that happened last year for the Browns yeah. going into the Jets game where the earlier in the week you find out about this stuff, you can get more reps to the guys who can play as opposed to if it happens on Thursday, Friday, where guys you're just throwing guys in and trying to really scale back the playbook so they can handle what's going on. So that is one positive for the Browns as they prepare for this. Game. Yeah, right. You get you get Keenum ready to go, uh, and uh, uh, Mullins, the backup, you get him ready to go because 
I mean, here's the thing that's, that's always interesting, too. It's just like, okay, you have Baker and you have Stefanski. Stefanski works with the offense. You know, what about the other quarterbacks? So that's an issue there. I mean, now if you kind of roll it into more of the football thing, uh, David, how did you think they played against Baltimore? Let's just talk a little football here because I'm, vac- I'm vaccinated and um, COVID out at the moment. So let's just kind of – let's look back a little bit because that, that we know for sure is what happened. Yeah. So I, I mean, you have to look at that offense. It was a handcuffed offense, not from a, an approach standpoint, but with the guys they were missing. I mean, this team is built on a running game and tight ends and they didn't have tight ends. And I really feel like they had to scale back what they were doing and they were doing the best they could with what they had. But I do think Baker Mayfield, what he said after the game was right. And I think Kevin Stefanski even confirmed this. Um, a little bit, not directly, but they, they should have um, been a little bit more aggressive and tried to hang out of the ball more in the second half because, I mean, you were there. That last play where the Ravens um, were trying to convert that fourth down and Denzel Ward came up and made that hit to, to end the game. Andrews, their tight end that the Browns can never stop. Not many people stop. <laughs> he, was, he was running on a seam route straight up the field in single coverage and was open. And if they hit that, I mean, Justin Tucker can hit kicks from the parking lot, as we all know. If the the other read is made there, if Huntley makes the other read to Andrews, the Browns are in trouble. I mean, you're looking at a 48 or 50-yard field goal for Justin Tucker, and the Browns are in a world of trouble. And that would have been one of the epic collapses in Browns history if that had happened after the way the first half went. A 50-yard field goal to Tucker is like an extra point. A couple other things. If you want to play big-time football in December, kick your field goals. And make them. Yep. Yes. Make your field goals. Chase missed another one. You know, this is, I know that like I'm, I'm sort of the lone voice of warnings about kickers and raising up kickers in our department, you know, because the, you guys often make fun of me, but I'm just telling you, I realize I sound like Phil Dawson's agent or, uh, you know, another kicker. What I mean, look at this and see how that feels when that ball bangs off the up upright. And then, you know, you got Superman on the other sideline. So they make that kick and you're up 27 to 20. Well, I end up being 27, 22, but you have 27 points. You just feel better about things. You have and more you take Tucker out of the game. Right. You're right. Yeah. And so this is a big deal. This guy's missed kicks in the last three games, missed field goals. They got to get him straightened out. You know, secondly, to your point, I think you're correct. I think also Kevin – did sit on the lead. You know, they got that. You know, by the way, remember we, there's all those stats about the Browns have scored 17 or fewer points in six of the last seven. Well, in effect, the offense also only scored 17 again. True. So it's still hanging over them. Uh, I mean, it's really hard to evaluate anybody now when you say, well, well the Browns have injuries, what, what the whole secondary, except for one guy was out for Baltimore and, and they're dealing, I mean, Lamar Jackson got knocked out early in the second quarter everything's a scramble situation for all of these teams. Yeah, so for sure. In the end is pass fail. I mean, they, they won They're seven and six. So that's the big positive, but you're, you're, if he hits that pass, first of all, if he hits that pass to uh, Andrews, the fans all want to sign Tyler Huntley to come to Cleveland because it's going to be a free agent. <laughs> right. Secondly, they'll want to fire everybody. And it would have been a disaster. Or even if Denzel Ward doesn't make such a great tackle, suppose that guy gets a, another first down. Yeah, it, it could have been it could have been epic. It really could have. And you're right. It, this is 
it, it is. It's survive in advance. It's like the uh, old ESPN uh, 30 for 30 on NC State basketball. At this point for the Browns, it's survive in advance. Mm-hmm. And this week is another challenge. Um, so, so, Terry, you know, there's kind of two things here that the Browns are dealing with, right? Number one is the culture part of it. And number two for Saturday as they go in is what players do they have and can they yeah. win on the field? The, the culture, it seems like the Browns culture and, and Kevin Stefanski was joking today. He's like, I think the guys proved last year they don't need me you know, when he missed last year's playoff game in Pittsburgh and they won. But um, it seems like the Browns culture is set up to handle this, where they're going to move Mike Prefer to be the head coach again, making decisions in terms of fourth downs and whatnot. And Alex Van Pelt's going to call the plays. This is the same thing they did last year. You feel good about the way the Browns are set up with their culture and that they can handle the structure of all this. How do you feel about it? we got experienced guys. You know, by the way, Prefer coached a game or two in Minnesota when Mike Zimmer was ill. Uh, oh, I think he had an eye problem, whatever it was, but he he was the one that they put in to be the interim game day coach in Minnesota. So he's done it before. Uh, as you said, you know, you have Bill Callahan, you have Van Pelt. So, I mean, I feel pretty good from that standpoint. I'm more concerned with what's going on in the field. If Case Keenum plays, uh, and this is never, whenever I get into this and people say, well, then are you trying to say he's better than Baker Mayfield? Or No, I'm not. But what I'm saying is there are certain teams in the NFL that I feel pretty good about Case Keenum with the Browns at quarterback. And I think they could beat Las Vegas with Case Keenum at quarterback because they're all up in the air. Remember, Gruden had to resign and uh, they're looking for a coach and maybe a GM. So, um, by the way, then you hear that they want to get rid of David Carr. I mean, all the, you get all that stuff going on there. We always think we're the only ones with problems. Well, yeah, I mean, look at the Raiders. It, it, it is funny to see when Browns fans see the news this week, they immediately go like, there goes the season. And But you look around the league, the Raiders are having problems. You mentioned some of them. Um, Darren Waller, their all-pro tight end, he didn't go through practice uh, on Tuesday because he's still dealing with um, knee and back injuries, mm-hmm. which I think he suffered on Thanksgiving against the Cowboys. They also had three other starters who were out on Tuesday. Uh, Denzel Perriman, um, he's their leading tackler. He was out Tuesday. Trayvon Mullen. He's been dealing with injuries. So, I mean, and plus the Raiders are the Raiders. I mean, they're just so weird. And (laughs) so the other day they're playing at Kansas city and they're fighting for their playoff lives. And before the game, they decide, Hey, you know what? We're going to go out and hold our team meeting on the Kansas city chiefs logo at midfield before the game, just to rile them up. And then they go out and they, and the chiefs just laughed at him and hammered them 48 to nine. I mean, it's the Raiders. They're so weird. And it's just a, this dysfunctional arrogance that they've always had. And, and mm-hmm. so I think the Browns can win this game on Saturday, sure. right? There's yeah, no I think if they Case can. goes out there, if they could have Chubb, um, I guess it's up in the air on Hunt, isn't it? What's going on there? Right. Uh, but even if they, if they have Chubb, is the, the Dearness Johnson test positive or not? I think he's okay. I think he's all right. He's, I haven't seen he, – If he's I got not Chubb list, and so. I got Dearness and I got uh, Case – um, even with the line that's kind of iffy, I think I could win an ugly game. Remember, that's how you're going to win. You're going to win an ugly game with Case where he doesn't do anything stupid. I think I can do that. Um, so I'm okay with – you know, this is also where we, they talk about tough, smart, accountable, and dealing with adversity. Well, let's see it. And in the end, um, to, to the Browns' credit, yes, Andrews is open, but they got enough pressure and all that on Huntley in the previous plays to force him to just throw that dump off pass 
and it helped them win. And remember, Clowney came up with one of the perhaps the biggest sack of the season. And also Miles Garrett at the end of the first half, he doesn't do the strip sack, pick it up, touchdown. Do they win? That's a good question. I mean, it, that was a huge play. Um, but I think if you're a Browns fan right now, you and Mary Kay Cabot, our colleague, wrote about this yesterday, I believe. But the defense has really come together. Yes. And I think we saw Sunday what they have been envisioning with not only Clowney and Miles Garrett playing at a high level, but Tech McKinley was all over the field. Mm -hmm. And here's a guy they took a chance on, and he's come in and really given them a great third option as a pass rusher and just someone who can spell those guys. Uh, it's it, it was a pretty impressive performance by that defense. Two to, and also uh, Malik McDowell is another one that also, you know, they took a chance on. So they, they were right on both of those guys. Denzel Ward is playing just at an extremely high level. Um, you know, you know, Greedy can play. Uh, I thought Greedy played well, which I'm very pleased about because I had major doubts about him. Yeah, and I think we finally see that um, the patience with Joe Woods paid off. JOK is all over the place. You know, so the, the vision that Andrew Barry and his people had for the defense as they put it together is better. I was told that they simplify their coverages. I don't know all the X's and O's of it, but you don't see those blown coverages all over the place. I guess they did blow one on Andrews, but at least they missed, you know, right there, the quarterback didn't get it to. But remember those touchdown passes early in the season, it's like nobody was within 10 yards of these people. So you don't see that anymore. I mean, they're still giving up some points and some passes, but the uh, defensive backs seem to be, be where they're supposed to be. Yeah, they have cleaned all that up. There's no doubt about it. So yeah, I want to talk about Baker Mayfield real quick. The, there's obviously this ongoing evaluation happening, both among the fans, the media, the team, um, in terms of Baker's future, the signing the long-term deal or not. And then you, you have stuff like this happen where he misses a game. And there's this is like another thing that's going to complicate the evaluation of Baker Mayfield, right? Another It's data lost, if you wanted to put it in the way the Browns might. Yes, or what you just say is that this year is so messed up, we're just going to go in the next year. He's under contract, and if need be, we'll even go the Dak Prescott route, where we just or uh, they did also did it with, uh, yeah, Dak Prescott is the best example where you franchise him. That's all. So you make up your mind whether you really want to make the big commitment with them. They the other quarterbacks have had that done, but Dak was the most extreme, and then where you see that he ends up signing. So. I'm just okay with it. You know, we, sometimes people don't like this four-letter word, wait, W-A-I-T. It's a good one, unlike some of the other four-letter words. Sometimes don't make a decision. And let things play out. And, and Andrew Berry has said that they're going to look at his entire body of work, sure, not just this year. And so, yeah, we'll see how that works out. I just it, – it's – um. Every, you know, the Browns are so data driven. I think everything they can get, they want to mm -hmm. use. And yeah, if Baker's correct. out this it, week, yeah. It's it's hard. I mean, okay, so say he finally does uh, clear the next two tests. He plays on Sunday. He hasn't prepared all week. Most of the offensive line is gone. All that. I mean, what do we make of it other than can he go out and win me an ugly game? That's what I'm looking at. Uh, you know, the old Herman Edwards screaming, did you win the game? Right. <laughs> All right, Terry, anything you want else? Uh, anything else on the Browns you want to get into here before we move on? The kicker still makes me nervous. <laughs> you are not alone there. Uh, 430 because kickoff. I, I want one more point. All right. 
a key to winning ugly games, you better kick. You make your extra points. You make your field goals. And you are right. Points are precious this time of year. I wonder if we're going to see the Browns going for more field goals on fourth downs when they're in deep in enemy territory as opposed to going for like they did early in the season. Yeah, be something I think analytics is interesting, but it's not gospel. In other words, you have to combine that with feel for the game. You know, like John Harbaugh lately has been going for stuff because he knows his roster is so thin. In fact, he said after they went for the two against the Steelers and didn't get it and they lost, he said, I'm down three cornerbacks. I just didn't want to play in overtime without my three cornerbacks. I, I, I thought we had a better chance winning with Lamar getting two yards. And, you know, if you think about it that way, that's not analytics. That might be common sense. Yeah. And follow your gut. And we might see more of that with a 17 game mm-hmm. schedule and, and the grind yes. that these guys are going through. Who wants to play 10 more minutes of football if you don't have to? So, all right. Don't forget, it's a Saturday game this week. It's a 430 kickoff down at First Energy Stadium. The Raiders are six and seven. They've lost two in a row. The Browns, of course, are seven and six. If they win Saturday, things could get interesting. They are only a game behind the Ravens. And first time they'll won two left. in a row since they were three and one. That's right. Stat of the day from Terry. So, all right, Terry, let's take a break. We'll come back and talk about the uh, amazing Cleveland Cavaliers. We're going to talk a little bit about Akron's new head football coach. We'll do some Hey Terry questions. How's that sound? Excellent. All right. We'll take a break. We'll be right back on Terry's Talking. We are back on Terry's Talking. David Campbell with Terry Pluto on Cleveland.com's weekly podcast. Hey, Terry. You're being bombarded by fans who are so excited and jacked up about this Cavaliers team. I, you said you haven't seen this for a long time, that just the reaction yeah, I mean, you're getting in the outpouring whether it's of Whether it's the number of emails, David, that comes in, or when we look at our analytics, you know, on our number of hits, um, some of the cast us bringing in Brown's numbers. And this goes back, you'd have to go back to LeBron in that time. So it's exciting. And also... You know, many of the fans have been writing me, and believe me, they love the championship. This is not like I never wished LeBron came. It's not that. But they said that was so one-man driven as a team, where this is truly a team. I wrote about, you know, seven guys averaging in double figures, and I'm not counting Colin Sexton, who's hurt. So, there. I mean, there's some other remarkable things. Like, they've had um, four guys in double figures, I think, like every single game. Uh, and I and they've had like a 20 point score in every single game, and it isn't the same guy at all. I mean, the other day is Kevin Love, and 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 Okora was the second leading scorer, and they won easily. So something is happening, and the fans have grabbed onto that. Yeah, and it, it, who would have thought? All right, let's look at some of the numbers here. The Cavs right now, they're going into tonight's game. They're playing the Rockets tonight down at the Fieldhouse at 7. They're seven. The Cavs are 17-12. and 12. They're the number four team in the Eastern Conference. They're only behind the Nets, the Bulls, and the Bucks. Um, you know, so they're, tonight they're at home. Then they're going on a three-game road trip. They're at Milwaukee on Saturday. They're at Atlanta on Sunday, and then Boston next Wednesday. And, you know, Saturday they're going to Milwaukee, and Giannis has tested positive for COVID and mm-hmm. might not be playing this weekend. So hopefully he gets better. But the, um, you know, it's, it's just been striking. Like you think of the turnaround that this team has had in such a short time. I mean, you know, going from the John Beeline experience, experiment to last season, 22 and 50. I mean, that was not that long ago. I mean, 22 and 50 is just a mere few months ago. And you look at how has this happened? 
What do you think has been the, the, the key behind all of it? Well, they hit on something. And uh, it, in my mind, it began when they, dra- when they made the trade for Jared Allen, who's much better, I think, than any of us thought. You know, in the beginning, he looked like a, a dunker, a rebounder, shot blocker. But this guy spent all summer learning post moves and that. He's become a scorer. Then they hit with Evan Mobley. Now, granted, you know, you, if you don't draft Garland, we're not, but I'm, I'm just talking about the two things that transformed the team because it transformed the personality of the team from whatever identity it didn't have, which I never could figure out what they were doing, other than they would rank 28th to 30th every year in, def- in defense. They didn't guard anybody. Um, so those two, and then, of course, they made a trade for Larry, or for marketing. And they went from one of the smaller teams to one of the bigger ones. And J.B. Bickerstaff figured out how to make this work. It goes against the grain. You were the one that brought it up. It's like playing Navy, you know, in football. You mentioned that about a month ago. And, and I also think in the regular season where you don't have a ton of time to prepare for team after team. Uh, Mike Fertello said it recently on one of the pregame or postgame shows, you know, the former Casco. He goes, I'm telling you right now. In the middle of an NBA season, these guys are a nightmare to prepare for. That was the exact words he used. Now, the Cavs in the playoffs, you got more time. We'll worry about the playoffs. The whole thing when you get right. there. <laughs> That's I a whole different that, animal. You know that then the Cavs may have to figure out some adjustments for the playoffs. That means you're in the playoffs. <laughs> but in the meantime, when you bring in two guys who are force on defense with Evan and with Jared Allen. And then Markinen falls into this and, and starts playing defense like he never played in his life. Because, by the way, you know, the peer pressure is big on teams, good or bad. And the peer pressure on this team is we are unselfish, we are tough, we defend, we pass. That's, I mean, one of their things in practice they always yell is one more, meaning throw one more pass. And JB has said a couple times, I know we overpass, but I would rather see that then, you know, dribble, 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 clocks down to six. Oh, throw it to him. He's double covered. He better shoot it. Oh, that looked ridiculous. Right. And, you know, if just speaking of turnarounds, like you mentioned Kevin Love earlier. I, yeah. I, I couldn't believe this when I looked it up. So it was April, that game against Toronto. You remember the game against Toronto where he was upset and mm-hmm. the, the, the Raptors scored and Love took the ball out from under the basket and he just kind of flicked it because he yeah. was so mad. He just kind of flicked it to nobody and the Raptors came in and just scooped it up made a three-pointer, and the Cavs went on to lose. It was a big turning point in the game. He had to apologize. That's eight months ago. Mm-hmm. And you fast-forward to Saturday night against Sacramento, and just watching that game, Love's on the sideline, whipping towels around up in the yeah. air. The guys on the bench are all going crazy because the Cavs are dropping, you know, eight, what was it, 81 points in the first half yeah. <laughs> on Sacramento. I'm like, this has been eight months since that moment from last year, which you definitely would consider one of the lows of the season. When to you Saturday night, and it was just—it's so different. It's just crazy. And David, it, that's not just—you know—Kevin probably personally would tell you his low point was the Olympics. Remember, he went out the Olympic team, and they basically kicked him off. It was a rough experience. Yeah, he said he was out of shape. He looked terrible, and so that was what in the summer. Meanwhile, Ricky Rubio is playing and averaging through 38 against the USA in the Olympics, by the way. Uh, so that's the, uh, un- the unheralded pickup was Rubio because I think we all thought he's pretty good backup or whatever. But And he had started in the league, but I did not see that the impact that he would make because he is having Garland play at a higher level. 
and it had that had Sexton remain healthy. It was just a matter of time till Sexton was going to be playing 18 to 22 minutes a game. But even if he started, they were moving him into that scorer off the bench role. So because of what Rubio's done. And now, and you see with their three-guard rotation where Coro's in the backcourt, now he's starting to get his athleticism going and scoring. But you, uh, to Fratello's point, you look out there, and now Markin has become at least an average to above-average defensive player. Evan, Evan and Allen are very good to elite. Okoro is very good, and Darwin Garland's okay. This is it. Really, is a nightmare when you're facing them. That's why they play. They lost to Milwaukee and, and Utah, but they played them close. And then you play some of these mediocre teams; they blow them off the floor. Well, yeah, and, and Kevin Love's having a great time playing with yes. these guys too. He's been reinvigorated. What did he have? Twenty-three points on Monday night. I think it was a season high for him. And you, his just his attitude has been great. It, uh, it's been really fun to watch. You bring him off the bench. He is probably not covering a starter. He's covering a bench guy, which hides. Kevin is an excellent rebounder, but if you watch how the other guys jump out on pick and rolls and all that, that's not Kevin. You know, he doesn't have that foot speed. He actually, he did a decent job during the, the title run some of those years, but you know, that was several calf muscle injuries and others ago. So now he's, they're hiding his deficiencies. And furthermore, he's often uh, matched up with bench guys when he's scoring. And it just gives, I think it's really helped his confidence. And also he doesn't feel the pressure. Yes, there's a contract, but you know, that's kind of way in the background because the team's winning. So now, Oh, I mean, yeah, you got 23 the other night, but you know, we've been saying, Oh yeah, look, he's getting 12, 12 and eight, 13 and nine. That's really good coming off the bench. It kind of reminds me of a Sunday lineup in baseball, right? Where you put in the rookie who maybe, yeah. you know, you're, you're, you're facing a uh, team's fifth starter or something. And you, mm -hmm. yeah. the Sunday lineup is where you can kind of get some guys and there's not as much pressure on Sunday. You know, it's, it's kind of like Kevin Love gets to do that every night where he's, he's yeah. not playing the, the marquee players. On bring, uh, along those lines, he used to bring Hot Rod Williams off the bench. Now Hot Rod would play the fourth quarter, but he said, Hot Rod's a starter. He said, but boy, when Hot Rod's against these substitutes, I mean, you know, he has his way. Yeah, and we're seeing some of that. So I, I didn't mean to cut you off there, but do you think this is a playoff team or, yes. or more? Playoff team. Um, I mean, it's different now. I mean, in the old days, if there had been just eight spots, yes, it's a playoff team that way. Now it's like the first six make it, and then they have that play-in tournament with the bottom four. Um, minimal is there a play in team, but you know, and we'll see how it goes. Really, what they're 29 games into an 80 game, 82 game schedule. Um, they got a real shot to finish in the top six, yeah. And we've talked about this before, but the way they play is sustainable. I mean, yes. it's, you, you see sometimes in the NBA where a guy will get hot for three or five games and he's carrying a team and then he might cool off and then they struggle. I mean, this is like you said, this is different guys every night. They're, do, they're playing defense every night. They're getting it from different guys every night. And that's like a formula for sustainable success in the NBA. Yeah, especially if you could defend because that enables you to win on the road. So that will help them. I mean, we will see as it goes on. I mean, anything's fragile because, you know, Kevin's injury, you know, his injury history is not good. Um, they cannot afford to lose Garland. Garland is a guy that, you know, just motors this. And by the way, remember Evan Movey, List four, missed four games, they lost all four. 
Yeah. Because even our- when it seems, you know, some games you go, ah, I guess he was okay. Then you look, let's see, at 14 and nine with three blocks. It's like, that's how good Mobley is. Yep. And you can't replace that when he's not no. in there. It's very And difficult. he was plus 12 on the floor, you know, in minutes, you know, how to keep track of how you outscore the opposition. So. All right. Well, let's, uh, before we move on, uh, the Cavs, as I said, they're playing the Rockets tonight at seven, Saturday at Milwaukee, Sunday at Atlanta, and then they finish up that three-game road trip next Wednesday, the 22nd at Boston. Oh, uh, David, also the yeah. Rockets come in, Kevin Porter Jr. Remember all the stink about they, did, they had problems with them. They let them go. They gave away this great player. I mean, he's playing okay. Last I looked, he's averaging like 13 points or something, but he would not fit into what they're doing. You know, defense and all, that was not his thing. And so in the end, I would rather have these, I you know, Okoro playing at shooting guard, Rubio. It just, this is J.B. Bickerstaff when he had some success as a coach in Memphis. It was a little like this with bigger guys, physical basketball, uh, just trying to be tougher than the other team. Hey, let's move on to Akron football. You're working on a column on the new Zips coach, Joe Moorhead, and he has had some big time jobs, right? Offensive coordinator at mm-hmm. Oregon, offensive coordinator at Penn State. Um, he's coached in the SEC, coached at Fordham. He's kind of known as one of the creators of the RPO through the years and, and kind of the proponents of it. Uh, why did he come to Akron and what have you kind of learned about Joe Moorhead that you could share with people? Well, the first thing I heard was, I heard the name go, why would he come to Akron? I know he coached there for five years when J.D. Burkhart was there. And that was actually one of the years they went to a bowl game and they won the MAC title. I think in 2007 or something, they won the MAC title, but they, they did that. And then after that, you know, he ended up moving up the ranks. He went to UConn as an offensive coordinator, went to uh, Penn State. Then he gets the Mississippi State job. And you look back at his record, he was 14 and 12 overall, is around 500 in the SEC, and the Egg Bowl. You know all about the Egg Bowl, Mississippi State, or as a friend of mine from Mississippi used to say, the real dogs, Mississippi State Stuckville dogs, because <laughs> I worked in the South for three years in Georgia, so I'm a little more, uh, in North Georgia, North Carolina, a little more familiar with this than others, and um the Ole Miss is the their big rival. Well, he beat Ole Miss twice in a row in the Egg Bowl. So that was a big deal. But, you know, he was from Pittsburgh, and he never coached anywhere near the South. It was – was Joe Moorhead good enough to coach, you know, in a big-time level? I think so. Was he the right coach at Mississippi State? Absolutely not. You know, the Yankee comes in there with no recruiting connections or anything, and it's not like you walk into LSU like, Brian Kelly or somewhere else, you know, basically when you're looking at Mississippi state, that's like Kent or Akron in the Mac. It's at that lower level of, of the league. And on top of that, um, unlike in the Mac, you got to face Nick Saban, LSU, Georgia, all those teams. So the fact is he kind of held his own there, but he made some enemies. They weren't thrilled about him. So they fired him on the way out the door. This was by the way, his first year, he beats Old Miss. He gets a contract extension. You like this? Next year they fire him, so he gets seven million dollars to go away. And then a couple teams lined up to uh, hire him, and Oregon got him. So he's there the last two years, and now all of a sudden he's thinking, "I'd like to be a head coach again." And Akron is really going after him, 
And he's thinking, I got $7 million to go away. And they were talking, his family, I've, I've talked to Joe at some length, and his family enjoyed living in the West Akron area. Uh, they, their kids went to St. Sebastian School. They're looking, so in other words, this would be a clear fit. Furthermore, they're at their age, he and his wife, Jennifer, were their parents in the Pittsburgh area are in their late 70s. And they wanted to be kind of close. They're good. That was the only bad thing about Oregon. He said he liked Oregon and everything except the distance from home. So this is a way to do this. And, you know, it's not like he's working for $5 an hour. I mean, they're going to pay him like 500 grand a year. But it, it's, it's a real Charles Guthrie, the new AD there. I give him a lot of credit at Akron because I never thought they'd pull this off. Well, yeah, but, you know, you, we always forget that coaches and athletes are people first and they have yes. family stuff to deal with. And anybody who's had a parent who's in bad shape and far away, it is a major thing to get back to see them and help them. And, and I, I can completely see that if you go into Akron to Pittsburgh is doable quickly if you need to get oh, over sure. there to help. And th those are the kinds of things that people don't um, think about with athletes and coaches a lot of times is that they have stuff that they have to deal with. And, and it's not just all and about see, Unlike a lot of other guys, David, who would uh, look at Akron and say it can't work. He actually was there when it sort of worked. You know, they did go to a bowl game. They had two winning records, I think, out of the five years that JV was coaching there. So he's thinking – and he probably thought in his own mind, it could have been even better if we'd have done this, this, and this, because Burkhout was a first-time head coach when he was hired. So you're, what, the, what they're getting, by the way, he took over a 1-10 Fordham team, and you mentioned the RPO, the run-pass option. And his first year, he won 6-5. and five. His, his record for the four years at Fordham was 38-13. and 13. They made that the old division one double a playoffs three times at Fordham. I think they've had like one or two winning records since. So if he told me, because I thought, well, if we could turn around Fordham and I've been at Akron, you know, I, I like my chances. So uh, we'll see how that goes, but it, I have to admit, David, I never thought I'd be talking about Kent state having three consecutive winning seasons in a row. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Kent State's kind of got it going on right now. If Akron can get good, can get good. I don't think we've seen both yeah. programs really at, at a high level at the same time. And if that happens, it's going to be fun for Northeast Ohio fans. So uh, There was we'll one period where it was a lot of fun. Josh Cribbs was the quarterback at Kent. And Charlie Fry, with Dean Pease, by the way, was the coach there. He was a longtime NFL coordinator now. And Lee Owens was at Akron with Charlie Fry. So Charlie Fry and, and Josh Cribbs had some great matchups. Um, and both of those teams were, were pretty good back then. I mean, not great, but pretty good. And they were fun to watch with two good coaches. Lee has since gone on to a tremendous year. Lee Owens coaching at Ashland. All right. So we'll see how the Akron football program can progress under Joe Moorhead. So uh, good luck to them. All right, Terry, let's talk about your faith column this week. I think you, um, you're kind of in the holiday spirit like we all are, and you decided you wanted to write about Joseph and taking care of people's children, uh, kind of in the spirit of what Joseph did around the, around the Christmas story and all that. Uh, tell us about this week's faith column, which will be online on Saturday and then in Cleveland and uh, on the Plain Dealer on Sunday. Yeah, Joseph, you know, the foster, basically the foster father of Jesus or the stepfather, however, whatever term you'd like to use. And so, you know, he took on Mary when Mary was pregnant, and there was a lot of social pressure for him to not do that, but he did. And that got me thinking to just some of the different people that I know 
a lot of them being grandparents or much older who have taken in grandchildren or they're in their 60s and nieces and nephews um, or even some people who are foster parents of kids that needed a place to go. I just think, you know, one of the great ways when you walk out your, walk out your faith is when you do that. And those of us who've had, you know, red group quote, biological kids, know how taxing that could be, but to take that on. And one lady I know, I was talking to her and she's got, um, she had four kids, three of them were doing well, but the fourth daughter, drug problems. That daughter had a couple of kids. She's in and out of rehab. So this lady has brought in uh, the three grandchildren and she's like 60. She goes, I can't believe I'm doing this. But she just feels the Lord has led her. Now her kids are helping her. But in effect, you know, somebody's got to be the matriarch here. And that's her. So and there, that is not an uncommon story. And it's kind of the underlying things of one of the things of Christmas is that, you know, how they formed a little different family there, you know, and, and, and made it work. So that what, that, that's what the faith counts about. Yeah. It's uh it's always interesting this time of year, you always see the viral stories about somebody leaving a $4,000 tip for a server at a restaurant or somebody dropping a gold coin into a, you know, Salvation Army kettle, but like what you're talking about, those are really the selfless stories that are happening every day that don't get any publicity as people who are taking care of kids that, they, that know, just kind of got dropped into their uh into their house into their life situation and uh it's really a selfless act and if you know somebody like that slip them some cash give them a gift card don't assume because those people generally don't tell you how they're struggling i had known this woman casually for i would say over a year before she actually told me the story about having her three grandkids and you had no idea the whole time. No, no. no we would talk about some other things. I'd see her at uh, at a store and somewhere else where she worked, and um, and I I forgot how. I think one day she looked really upset, and so I talked to her, and and my friend Gloria was with me, and she opened up, and I'm like, oh my goodness. So these are people. If you know them, don't assume everything is easy. <laughs> Help them out some way or other, whether you want to do it anonymously or it'll be appreciated. Uh, that's a great message for this holiday season, Terry. So, all right. So look for that column this weekend. Um, thanks for sharing that. Uh, let's do some Hey Terry's. You ready? Yes. If you want to hit us up with a Hey Terry question, Terry always puts a call out up on his Facebook page. Or if you want to email it to us, if we had a couple of questions come in on email, you can email it to sports at cleveland.com. And just put, hey, Terry, or Terry's talking in the subject line. We will take a look at it. So, um, hey, this was interesting. We have a Mitch Trubisky sighting that came in. I wanted to get your thoughts on this. is from Paul Cosgrove. He emailed it, and he says, ever since I saw Mitch Trubisky single-handedly beat high school powerhouse St. Ignatius, I've been convinced he would be destined to be a star QB in the NFL. We all saw him fail in Chicago. I always wondered if the failure was his or bad coaching, bad offensive line, lack of quality receivers. Since she, since he has left, three quality QBs have failed in the Bears' environment. Mitch is on a one-year deal with the Bills. Why not bring him home and let him compete against Baker Mayfield? It would be the best move since Bernie became a Brown. What do you think, Terry? Mitch Trubisky and Orange I was Brown. interested, but I don't want to go quite Bernie became a Brown. Uh, <laughs> You look at the Bears' track record, and it's very good. This seems like every quarterback there has struggled. Would this guy be Ryan Tannehill? You put him in the right system. Remember, Miami was just – they went longer with Tannehill, and then they thought he couldn't play well. He goes to Tennessee, 
it's had quite a bit of success. So uh, whether it's Cleveland or somewhere else, I mean, if I were somebody, I would certainly want Trubisky to come in as a backup in the same way, knowing I could just like Case Keenum, I could put him in a game. Now, next year, you know, Keenum's contract, I believe next year is not guaranteed. If they wanted to switch out backups, that's a possibility. But the main thing is that I believe Trubisky can certainly be a viable NFL starting quarterback. But if you have him, you almost would be like you are with Baker. You probably always want to have somebody better. All right. Instead of saying, you know, this guy's pretty decent. Yeah. And we've all seen, you know, Mitch Trubisky's a great running quarterback. We yes. all saw the accuracy problems in Chicago, and that's something they'd have to look at in terms of whether that's something they want to take but in. He's so. a nice guy as a backup. I mean, it was for this way. If uh, uh, Allen gets hurt in Buffalo, I mean, you miss him, but it's not like, oh, well, what are we going to do? Yeah. You got a guy you can put in the game, just like same type of quarterback, too. A good game. runner. Yeah. Big guy who can run. And you don't have to yeah. change a lot with your offense. Right. Um, all right. Kathleen Thompson, who is one of our most loyal listeners, and thanks to everybody for listening. Our podcast is actually growing by the thousands every month. So we're really thankful to all of you who listen. But Kathleen wants to uh, ask Terry Hey, Terry, I'm enjoying the Cavs. They play hard. Here's my question What are your thoughts on Dylan Windler? It's like I forgot about him. Um, they did a good, a smart thing. They actually used their minor league team. That I started to say the Cleveland charge. I'm the Canton charge, but it's a Cleveland charge, and they're letting him play down there to, you know, shoot and score. He comes into play if somebody gets hurt. I don't know. You know, he had two injuries right after he was drafted. Just seemed to set him back. And I like the drafting of him well in the first round, but I have not seen enough to say that he's anything more than a guy that's probably going to be always battling for a roster spot right now. But I am glad they're using him at uh, well, Mount to ba- basketball AAA, because if you end up having a couple guys hurt, uh, when Lynn was right, he can come in and at least had a few three pointers. Yeah, and and with the big guys, the Cavs really love spacing, mm-hmm. so he he'd be valuable to have. So, all right, Terry. The next one is from Cal Carlisle, and he says, "Hey Terry, how much fun would it be if the Steelers signed Tyler Huntley from the Ravens? We could face Tyler Huntley and Lamar Jackson." twice each twice a year he wants to oh, know boy. how much fun that would be that'd be kind of like playing the Cavs. you know you got this weird offense you're facing um also the i've already been getting emails from fans who want the browns to sign tyler huntley so they would go crazy about that <laughs> all right let's take the last one here it's from carl paporo he says he met jim jim donovan um who's a cancer survivor just like i am and he says he's just really um, loves Jim Donovan. Um, I know you know Jim really well, and and you posted a picture on Facebook when you were looking for questions of um, um, Nev I'm Chandler. Sorry. Nev Chan- yeah, Nev Chandler. Yeah. I'm sorry, I was I was getting my Browns play by play announcers yeah. through the years mixed up in my head, but uh, we've really been lucky in Cleveland to have some great play play by play. Right, I mean going way back to Jim's when I was a kid. Sure. Yeah, yeah, you had Gibb Chandler, then you had Nev. Uh, Casey Coleman for a little while, and then uh, Donovan. I mean, they're all terrific. And I just, I think Jimmy, though, has grown so much. I don't hear him a ton, but probably once or twice a year, I mean, when I'm, I'll, I'll hear parts of the game. Maybe I'm even in the press box. And then you, the highlights. And also just his enthusiasm and that is, is terrific. And it is, as I remember Doug Deacon was talking to me, he said, 
all my partners have been through some tough health stuff because Nev Chandler died at 47 from cancer. Casey, I forgot how old he was, Casey Coleman, uh, pancreatic cancer for him. And then Jimmy's battle leukemia. So he said, he goes, my announcers are tougher than half of the guys in the NBA. That's what Doug has told me. I mean, the NFL, he said, these guys, I mean, they, they, you know, they announced through chemo and everything else. So uh, we've been blessed with that. For sure. And you, you know, if you drive around the country and listen to a lot of play-by-play announcers that a lot of them sound the same, and there is no yeah. mistaking when you hear a Jim Donovan call, he's, he's great at what he does. There's no doubt about it. So he's running to the lake, you know, all that <laughs> kind of stuff. he's going to run to the river. He comes up with things just in the, the spur of the moment, which is really, and that's what the great ones do. They don't think of it. Like Joe Tate would tell me, I didn't think of wham of the right hand. It just kind of came out because then everybody else people liked it. So you, you go with it. But it's not like you sit there at night and you make a whole list of your favorite calls you can't wait to use. Because if you do that, you'll probably forget them or it'll come out robotic. Yep. Well, we'll see. I'm, I'm sure Jim will come up with a good one on Saturday if there's some excitement. So, all right, Terry, we're going we're gonna to wrap up here with a Terry's trivia question. We've been talking about Joe Moorhead, the new coach at Akron. It's been quite a while since the Zips had a coach who's been around long enough to win more than 40 games with the Zips. And so who was the last Akron Zips football coach to win more than 40 games? I'm going to say Lee Owens. You, I'm going to give you a hint. He was a high school coach and then got a job Jerry at Faust a very was? big program. Jerry Faust. Uh, Faust was? Jerry Faust, yes. Faust won more games than, more, more than Lee Owens. Okay. Well, he was the last coach to win more than 40 games. So right. I think Lee might have been at 40. I'll go back and check that. But okay, yeah, Jerry Faust right. was Jerry Faust, the, who coached at Notre Dame. He went from Cincinnati Moeller to Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, was 43, 53, and 3 with the Zips from 1986 to 1994. So, um, hey, Terry, we haven't had a chance to talk about your new vintage Browns book. And I know it's a great stocking stuffer for people. Uh, how are things going with the book and where can people get it? Well, we're, um, I just signed another 350 copies because we've sold the first 1,300 signed copies. I'm not talking about once, and I've also left some of different stores. But we have a new offer now to put it up on Twitter and Facebook and, or terrypluto.com where uh, because it's getting a little close, you want to say if I get it delivered. If you buy two or more copies of any of my books, um, they will give you priority chop, uh, shipping for free. So that's a good deal for that, says the guy who's shamelessly trying to sell books. But it is a good deal because at least you will get it there. So free shipping on two or more. And you can get it at terrypluto.com or just look at my Facebook or Twitter account and you can click right there. But it's been it's been the the, um, uh, the response has been just wonderful from people. And we're pretty close to selling out the uh, first printing, which ended up being smaller than normal because of COVID. So we'll be getting more in, but unfortunately it probably won't be till January, but we have, I think, I think there's at least still a thousand available. So if you got a chance, this is it. Yeah. And you know how fast that shipping adds up. So that's a great uh, perk and uh, congratulations on selling out the first shipping. And of course, thanks to all the fans for buying it. So, all right, Terry, that'll do it. Um, Thanks for being on the pod this week. As usual, we will uh, hopefully talk to you next week. Everybody stay safe. There's a lot of COVID going around. We've seen it in sports, and I'm sure we're, everybody's seeing it in their everyday lives. So everybody just do the best you can to stay safe out there. Terry, any last thoughts? No, other than I just appreciate that our audience keeps growing, and I really mean that because these are fun to do. It's fun to get the questions, and I'm so thankful. Uh, just this time of year that 
hey, I've been doing this since the Civil War, and I could keep doing, I could keep doing not the podcast, but keep writing. And uh, I just want to thank everybody for that. I could not have said it better. Thanks. Uh, we will catch you all next week on Terry's Talking.